Hey everyone, it's Martin Sibley here, back for another episode of The Martin Sibley Show. And as I've reeled off the last few episodes in the introduction, I am a blogger, an entrepreneur, and an accessible travel adventurer. But for the purposes of this podcast, the theme is me interviewing other influential and successful disabled people. And we're really excited today to have Liz Sakes from Disability Rights UK to really get under the skin of what's going on with the political and campaigning world at the moment, particularly looking at the United Nations shadow report in their investigation of the UK government and potentially not living up to their responsibilities under the UN Convention for Disabled People. One other little thing to mention before we dive into the interview is that the actual interview took place a few weeks ago um, and there's been various reasons why it's taken a bit longer to get it live but anything that maybe sounds a little bit dated is for that reason um, but on the whole it's a really cool interview I really enjoyed getting to know Liz and hearing what she's up to um, at the moment and her plans for moving on from Disability Rights UK um, in the coming days and weeks um, and yeah really just a, a fascinating insight into how the disability rights movement is still striving for universal design and community participation for disabled people. So buckle up, grab a cup of coffee, cup of tea, whatever you're into, and I hope you enjoy it. So today we're joined by the amazing Liz Sace from Disability Rights UK. Thank you for joining us today, Liz. Hi, Martin. Nice to be here. Good, good. So yeah, as we were sort of um, chatting about before we met up for the interview today, it's a very sort of relaxed, free-flowing chat just to hear sort of you know your background and things that you've been working on and maybe some thoughts for the future of the disability movement as well so um i mean just as a kickoff it'd be great for the listeners just to hear um a sort of summary of your background and your career if you don't mind yeah well i'll do my best so um one of the things that really i think influenced me early on was i had a temporary job in a psychiatric hospital and completely unbeknownst to me they'd had a big human rights inquiry uh, just before that and um some of the some of the people living in the institution had been really badly treated and i just got I got really interested in how do these institutions work? Why are people shut in these institutions anyway? I was very young. And, um, and uh, I, I, I think partly because of that, and also I had some mental health difficulties of my own, mm-hmm. I, I, I took a job in a hospital trying to keep people out of institutions. And right. it, was a lot of, it was a lot of young people who had a whole range of different learning difficulties, autistic issues, um, mental health difficulties, people who've been in young offenders institutions and so on. And I just got really, really interested in that whole thing about kind of freedom and independent living. Um, and then um, I, I, eventually I got a job as policy director of MIND, which was really a fantastic job, and did lots of work to make new connections with the wider disability movement. So thinking about mental health difficulties as you know, uh, an impairment like any other experience of disability, uh, mm-hmm. and people mm-hmm. needed rights, uh, not only rights not to be kind of shut up in institutions, but rights to have a decent life, rights to decent housing, to employment, uh, you know, having enough money to live on, that sort of thing. So, um, and uh, from there I worked, uh, I was a director at the Disability Rights Commission. I spent a year in America finding out what they were doing there, which was amazing. Oh, was that on the um, fellowship that you did? 
Yeah, that's right. It was um, it was a fellowship, and I was uh, I, I sort of hung out with a lot of activists uh, <laughs> on Capitol Hill, lobbying the, the nice. lobbying in Congress and stuff, uh, <laughs> and also had the great chance to travel around and meet lots of disabled people, activists, but also policymakers in different states, and learn a lot really about how they were doing things and how we could do things uh, better. And am I right in thinking that a book came out of that experience in America as well? Yeah, that's right. I wrote a book called, because um, I was still at that point um, working more in mental health, mm -hmm. and um, I uh, wrote a book called From Psychiatric Patient to Citizen, mm -hmm. and it was all about, I suppose it was very much kind of where I started my career, you know, that um, we, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be sticking anybody in long-stay institutions uh, when actually we know with the right, you know, with the right sort of independent living support, people can have a decent life. Yeah, and. Yeah. Um, so, uh, and actually I'm now, there's just a quirk, I'm now living on the site of what was once a former psychiatric institution. Uh, well. they, raised it to the, they raised it to the ground, which I think was the best thing to do with it, yeah. and um, built flats and things. And uh, um, so that's where I now live. So in my spare keep... time, I sometimes look, yeah, I look at the history of it a little bit, and yeah. what happened to the people who, who left. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you're just keeping an eye that they don't try to, to rebuild it. That's why you're there, to, you know, to keep... Well, exactly, exactly, yeah. We start, when we first moved in, we, we jokingly called it Asylum Lodge. But um, <laughs> anyway, you know, uh, I think it's a sort of... Um, yeah, I, but I mean, the, the awful thing is, we know... Um, I mean, there was a programme only a couple of weeks ago about people with learning difficulties, mental health issues, being in an institution and um, really having an appalling time, and and uh, and but then showing some people and just how much better a life people had once they once they could come out and be somewhere that was much more uh, supportive of people, you know, having friendships and relationships mm. and doing things that they wanted to do and so on. So yeah. it's still a big issue, unfortunately. Yeah, I know, I know, it's crazy, and you think by now it would all be. Um, far more sort of almost sorted and done and dusted but here we are and we'll come on to that a little bit later but still trying to educate the, the powers about you know about human rights yeah exactly okay so then after America it was, was that around the time that you got involved with disability rights UK or, or radar at the time um, so actually I went to America in the 90s a long time ago 20 years ago and um, I came back and uh, the government set up their disability rights task force, mm -hmm. uh, to, which recommended setting up a commission, the disability, which became the Disability Rights Commission. So I was on that task force. Uh, I think people were interested because I'd just come back from America. Uh, and by this time, I was really thinking about disability in the round, you know, the whole, all the issues about accessibility and ordinary life and everything. Uh, and, um, and then the Disability Rights Commission was set up and I got a job there. Okay. And that was a wonderful job working with some amazing colleagues, disabled people, non-disabled people. But I think we had a real mission to, you know, make, make Britain a better place to live. Uh, for disabled people across the board and you know you, you can't do everything in a short space of time but we took legal cases we did investigations um, we provided lots of guidance and codes of practice and so on so it, that was a that was a good experience uh, and then from there I went to radar in okay. 2007 okay so that's about 10 years ago now then yeah yeah, that's right. Okay, and obviously I know one of the, the main um, achievements while you're at Radar was bringing together Radar and the two other organisations to form what is now Disability Rights UK. I mean, how did that all come about in the, in the first place? 
I think that some of us felt that, um, that there were quite a few sort of smallish national organizations and sometimes they were sort of duplicating each other mm -hmm. and we thought we'd have more impact if we came together. So we had Disability Alliance, big campaigning um, focus on poverty, the overcoming poverty of disabled people. We had the National Center for Independent Living which was you know, bringing together centers for independent living around the country. And then we also had Radar, which was more about equality more broadly. And, mm -hmm. and actually, so we wanted to have more impact. And also, we knew back then, uh, in about this was, we were planning it in about 2010, 2011, we knew public spending cuts were on the way. And we thought, right, let's, let's get in first with a merger rather than you know, waiting to see if there are going to be public spending cuts. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think it was a really good thing to do. No merger is simple. No, if anybody no. listening uh, has ever been through one or is thinking of it, uh, it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but because um, people, just different cultures, different sets of beliefs and things. But I think now we feel like one organization and we can do a lot more than any one of those organizations could do. Uh, so it's been really, it's been really great. Um, we've been one organization for five years now and uh, I think, um, I mean, as it happens, I'm about to move on from Disability Rights UK, uh, mm -hmm. and we're recruiting for a new chief exec, and I think that person will be able to take the organisation into the next sort of phase of its life um, and have real, real impact going forward. Definitely, definitely, and good, good luck with that transition as well. And again, we'll come back um, near the end of the interview to some of your own sort of plans and hopes for the future. But um, it's in, you know, interesting to hear of that sort of transition that, that's going on at the moment. I mean, in terms of Disability Rights UK, well, it'd be great for the listeners to hear some of the, the projects and initiatives that are going on there at the moment, if you wouldn't mind sharing some of those. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, some of our sort of bread and butter work is we, we produce fact sheets and we have advice lines that, and the, the, the fact sheets were downloaded last year about one and a half million times. Wow. So I think we're, we're filling a need. Um, a lot of them are on benefits, social care, access to work, all sorts of things that just, you know, people really need to know about. Mm -hmm. And we've, we also share, like, um, for example, in relation to disabled students, you know, what, what does good practice look like? We've got some film clips on our uh, website, which I, which people are downloading a lot, which I think people are finding really useful. But then we've got particular projects, and I, I'll just maybe mention one or two. Sure. We've we've got a career development program. We call it Leadership Academy, mm -hmm. and what it does is, um, it's a program that supports disabled people who are in work, but maybe are stuck below their potential. Mm -hmm. You know, they could get into middle management, they could get into senior management, but actually they're not there, and what this program does is it provides like a really safe space where people can share their experiences and have mentoring from senior people in different parts of different parts of the British economy uh, and people have kind of quite intensive program days to, to kind of think about leadership styles and all sorts of you know how to make an impact how, and and what I think is brilliant about it is that very often nobody has kind of dared to challenge disabled people I don't know if you know what I mean but absolutely but so, so pe people say things like well you know I'm blind I just don't know how to network in a room so I sit in a corner 
and, and through this program, people are kind of challenged and supported to find new ways of doing those things, or mm -hmm. how do you make an impact if you've got a significant speech impairment, that sort of thing. And people really, really grow and develop through it. Uh, so um, I think the last year we did it, we, about 80% of people who went through it met their own career aspiration. Some people got promotions, or they led new projects, or they came to chair events that they'd never done before, things like that. So it's, uh, it's, a, it's great, because I think, you know, we talk a lot in, uh, in the policy world about the, the awful fact that so many disabled people are out of work, and that is awful, and we need to talk about it. But mm -hmm. I think there's another scandal, which is a lot of disabled people in work are actually stuck below where, what they could be doing still in low paid jobs yeah, and yeah. I think people need the support to get on you know and have a decent career really. Yeah and this is going to sound far too polished and coordinated I'm not even sure if you, if you know this as well Liz but I actually have been on the leadership program soon after I went ah. in to self-employment and um, I, with my coach Danny West I went through all of the goals I'd love to achieve and about pretty much about five years down the road I can say that I, I've hit all those goals and it was very much thanks to to Danny and the program so you know, as, 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 as perfect as that does sound in the context of the interview it's a very uh, genuine testimonial as well. That's really good to hear, that's great. So yeah, they're cool, no, that'd be good for the listeners to hear about that and how, if they want to get involved what's the best way for them to get more information on that? Yeah, well on, on the Disability Rights UK website um, if you go onto that and then um, just type in Leadership Academy Program or okay. LAP, mm -hmm. uh, you will find information. Or people are welcome to email me if you want. I'm on liz.sace at disabilityrightsuk.org and I'll put them in touch with the right person. Brilliant. And I'll put the links up on um, on the blog next to the, the audio of the podcast as well. So that should be lots Fantastic. of ways for people to get in touch. Okay, cool. And um, was there, I think there was a second thing you wanted to to mention about some of the work that's going on at the moment, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, we also do a lot of work to influence policy. And um, one thing we've just done is we've been over to Geneva uh, earlier this week, actually, wow. uh, because the, the United Nations has a committee that works on the, um, the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And they will be, later this year, examining the UK. So, you know, how do we think we're doing in the UK on disabled people's rights? So they, this committee, made up of pe people from all over the world, they wanted to hear from disabled people's organisations, OK, so what do you think are the big issues in the UK at the moment? Mm -hmm. So we and some, some other disabled people's organisations went over to Geneva and we told them what we thought the big issues are. <laughs> um, and... Um, well, so we hope they took, a, took notice of that. They're going to be coming over in August, uh, and they're going to be finding out more about what's really happening here. And then they'll write a report, and the UK government has to re do a response to that. Mm -hmm. So we think it's an opportunity for, for us all and disabled people to say, these are the biggest issues. Uh, then, um, ultimately, for the UK government to say, OK, um, we're going to take some action in some of these areas. Mm -hmm. Some of them will be long-term things, some things we think the government could get on and, you know, really get moving on. So it was a great experience, and um, it, it came out, we'd had events all around the country, um, and uh, lots of issues came up from those events. So 
things like um, the impact that cuts in social care have been having on people. I mean, yeah. we hear an awful lot, don't we, in the press about older people, um, uh, but actually it's people of all ages are affected. Yeah. Yeah. And we heard a lot of people being sort of very isolated, really kind of, you know, behind closed doors, cuts in social care are really impacting on mm -hmm. people, not being able to go out, have a life and things like that. And there's a right under the United Nations Convention to be fully included in the community. So we Good. thought, look, there's an issue here. Um, uh, and there were other issues about too many people still being in institutions, to go back to what I was talking about earlier, mm -hmm. and increasing use of the Mental Health Act to uh, compulsorily detain and compulsorily treat, forc forcibly treat people against their will, things like that. So that some things like that at the sharp end. Yeah. But also benefits issues, you know, and I'm sure listeners will be familiar with some of the some of the things that are happening that uh, with Social Security that are really are impacting on disabled people more than on everybody else, yeah. and that yeah. really seems unfair. Definitely. Oh, it's really interesting to hear that. It's nice that there is a, a channel and a place to start to feed all of these goings on in a, in a constructive way that hopefully can have an impact at the end of it. Because I know a lot of disabled people, including myself, have been feeling like, you know, we know there's a problem, but where and how do we actually vocalise that in a way that things can be held, you know, the government can be held accountable for something, you know? Yeah, exactly. We want to be a kind like a a channel. I think Disability Rights UK as well is a kind of network, and it's growing as a network of people who are members. You know, you can join Disability Rights UK as an individual if you want to, mm -hmm. and um, then you get information about things like this. So if you want to have a voice in, for example, that you know what the United Nations may end up saying. We've had these events, but there'll be new, there'll be more opportunities when the when the committee comes over here. Uh, we also had an event in Parliament, and Baroness Jane Campbell kindly hosted it for us last week, and we kind of launched the report to MPs and peers here in the mm -hmm. UK, so they're up to speed, and you know they can hopefully promote what matters most to disabled people around the country, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Jane, I know Jane's been doing a lot of great work. I read her Guardian article this week, which was really important for raising awareness, you know, to, even to some of the, the general public to hear what's going on at the moment. So I, I guess in terms of if any of the listeners want to get involved, it is about to keep being vocal and not giving up and trying to highlight these issues so that we can get more traction from the mainstream public and, and try and get the policy changed at the end. Well, exactly. And I think, you know, even, um, you know, perhaps going to see your MP, if mm -hmm. there's, you know, we know that uh, MPs do take notice of what their constituents say to them. And, so, you know, we're very concerned at the moment about a couple of benefits changes that are happening. One is this um, cutting uh, £30 a week from for new claimants of employment and support allowance who are placed in the work-related activity group, sorry it gets technical, um, <laughs> but you know, um, if you're assessed after this change, you'll get less money than if you were assessed before, quite a bit less money actually, mm. and so far we haven't managed to find anybody, uh, any expert organisation that thinks this is a good idea. It's not going to be an incentive for employment, It's all it's going to do is leave more disabled people living in poverty, and you know, um, so if you're worried about things like that, go and see your MP. See, yeah. you know, because sometimes MPs, even of all political parties, 
do actually listen and understand the concerns. Uh, obviously, this government brought in the, the change, but um, you know, people are concerned when they hear about the human impacts on, on their local constituents. Yeah, I mean, another sort of policy angle question, but I mean, I, I was reading the other day about in Australia how they did this Every Citizen Counts campaign, and I think it was really trying to explain that, you know, disabled people don't choose to be disabled. And obviously what we know in terms of rhetoric and semantics that we're only disabled by the barriers of society, but in terms of we don't choose to have our impairment. And in Australia, they're kind of saying that, look, anybody could be requiring different types of support in the future and we should look after all of our citizens no matter what situation they're in and I know that they, they got a lot of progress around the social security side where the government finally did approve a sort of national disability insurance um, and I know in the UK a lot of the funding comes from like three or four different government or national and local government departments which is part of the problem of actually trying to look at you know, what people need in a holistic way rather than going through all these different bureaucratic channels. I mean, do you think there's ever a chance that, we, that it would be simplified a bit more in the United Kingdom? It would be great, wouldn't it? I mean, I think, um, I think one of the things they did in Australia, which was very smart, was they, they got all the political parties to agree. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I think they did it by sort of all the disability organizations came together, including the providers of services, and they all had one campaign message. So I think there's some learning there. For, so, so then, almost like the politicians, whichever party they were in, mm -hmm. almost had to agree because everybody was telling them the same thing. They, they couldn't you know, rely on uh, different people taking different you know, divided rules, so to speak. Uh, and... Um, one of the things that happened when we were in Geneva, which I think was really positive, were there were quite a lot of different organizations that went. We were really, really united. We all agreed on the top things we wanted to say, and we all said them. And, mm. and I think that's really powerful. I think we, we need to bring the whole sector together more strongly. Yeah. And I think we also need to just encourage government to come up with a, you know, for example, they've just come up with a disability employment green paper. Uh, and... But it doesn't really talk very much about skills or about transport or about social care. You know, everything has to work together, doesn't it? Yeah, to, you need to get to the office, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I think, yeah, I think we've still got rather a long way to go. <laughs> like, no, that's, yeah, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, yeah, I know with the Australia side, as you say, there was partly the the universal message that united the the actual politicians, and I think you just sort of intimated the experience in Geneva that there's also this need to unite the disability movement because I know very often that mental health or um, learning and cognitive impairments and then sensory impairments, physical impairments, all those different groups can have quite different uh, wants and needs and so that yeah, united front is necessary to then have that political change. Exactly. I mean, you know, there's, there's obviously a place for a, an organization that's just focusing on learning, perhaps led by people with learning difficulties, that's focused on those very specific issues about accessibility for people with learning difficulties, for example. But on some big things, if we all come together yeah, yeah. on things like, you know, independent living and what it would look like for that system to work properly, then actually we'll be much more powerful and have yeah. to make much more difference. And that's what we're really trying to do. 
Definitely, that sounds really exciting. And I, I think that's been a feeling of a little bit, you know, where do we go now? All the negativity, pessimism. And one thing that's worried me is that some of the very key figures in the disability movement are starting to feel a little bit beaten. And I think if, you know, if we start to get too down and there's no hope or optimism, what, what do we have? So I think it, it's very important to be realistic about how bad it's getting, but also to try and try and find those commonalities and, and roadmaps to make it better again. I think that's right. And also I think um, I think it's about painting the picture of what it is we want and why, you know, yeah. that um, because because I do think that uh, governments of all persuasions could probably agree that in, in principle, you know, disabled people should be able to participate fully in our communities. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, we should, there, there should be a right to a decent education, there should be um, a right to accessibility so people can take part in, in life. It's, it's kind of, we seem to have fallen back a bit into thinking there's this sort of rather small group of so-called really disabled people who need to be looked after mm. and everybody else has just got to sort of sink or swim and yeah. it doesn't work you know we've got to have we've got to have universal design we've got to have really inclusive communities and we've got to have the support that people need so that you can you know get a good education go to university get to work if that's what you want to do or so that you can take part in your community you know it's it's mm. kind of Slightly, I think we, the narrative got changed somewhere, and I think we need to talk a bit more about our rights to participate, to be fully included in society, yeah. not just to be looked after. If you see what I mean, Absolutely. being looked after is not really what it's about. It's no. about you know being being full citizens. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, as you say, lots of work to do and lots of battles to still go and fight and and win. But in terms of um, as we sort of close off the interview, really, what what's next for Liz Sace? What, have you got any plans yet for after your time at Disability Rights UK? Well, um, I'm uh, I think that I want to stay involved in some different way with the whole field of equality and rights. Um, I'm I'm on a couple of uh, committees where I hope to be able to make a difference. Uh, one of them is Health Watch, mm -hmm. which really tries to give a voice to people who use health and social care services and help that voice to inform both services at a local level and policy nationally. So that's a, that's a really interesting thing to be involved in. Um, I'd like to do some more writing. You mentioned that I've written a book before, mm -hmm. uh, and so you know maybe some blogging um, and. Uh, um, and I'd like to sort of stay in touch with people in, interested in disability rights. I think it'll be a sort of very different life for me, not being responsible for running an organisation. Yeah. <laughs> I think there'll be other ways that I can, you know, stay involved and be part of the movement for change, which is what I really want to do. Yeah, well, I don't know if you know recently, but Disability Horizons is obviously the more established uh, magazine that we've been running, which was all about lifestyle. And so it's very much about employment and travel and sex and relationships. Whereas because of this regression we talked about earlier, Disability United was formed for that exact reason about trying to tackle the, the regression, the problems. And so if you are looking for, you know, some, some good blogs to write on, we'd, we'd be very happy to have any contributions on Disability United from you as well. 
Sounds great. <laughs> cool. Right. Well, um, thank you for your time today, Liz. I really enjoyed that, and I hope the listeners got a lot out of it from lots of different um, service provision and sort of policy level insights and initiatives. So thank you for, for all your hard work you're doing, and good, good luck with the future as well. Thank you very much, Martin. Good to talk to you. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that interview. It was really insightful and interesting to hear all of Liz's work and her thoughts and insights on the disability rights movement. I think the one thing that really struck me from a general observation point of view is that how Liz and her other disability rights activist colleagues have spent so many years and even decades winning rights for disabled people that have enabled someone like myself to have my wheelchair, my social care, to run a business, to be able to travel the world. And I feel so humbled and grateful that they were able to fight for those rights that someone like me has benefited from. But also as things are developing at the moment and the political landscape is shifting, I'm aware of people struggling more to maintain things, including myself, but also for younger disabled people, it's harder than ever to really get those opportunities on the metaphorical ladder, whether that be the education ladder, the employment ladder, and obviously housing ladders, as everyone talks about in general. Um, it just feels like things have got far more difficult and, and harder for disabled people. And I think that's just really sad to observe in general. Now, in terms of the two points to pull out of what Liz was saying, I think was around the universal design and community participation. So firstly, with universal design, it's so important that all of society is thinking of all of disabled people. And by all of, I mean different impairments from wheelchair user to a deaf person or a blind person or neurodiverse, such as learning disability and autism and conditions like that, that any website, any physical space, any service delivery is, is not just thinking about these groups, but engaging and learning what they need to be included and have accessibility. And so this is something that's really, really important that the world starts to engage with. And particularly, as we know from a business perspective, there is a high spending power of disabled people. So there is a, a benefit and a return for investing in this kind of um, learning and investigation around the disability market. And the second thing around community participation, I think really this is just about how do we get disabled people more in the DNA of our communities. So in political positions, in high up business and on the boards of big companies and just generally in day to day life, having a bigger representation from disabled people in the mainstream media and all around tourism and the finer things in life. It's so, so important. So really big thank you to Liz for identifying, raising these two points. And I suppose from this point onwards, we now, it comes out to you guys, the listeners, it's how do we as a community help to push this forward? And I think sometimes it is the little things that anyone out there that is getting involved in campaigning or fundraising for good initiatives or being more part of the business world and the community, you are already changing things. But it's also looking at how we can maybe have a stronger unified voice as disabled people as well. So some things to ponder um, off the back of this. But otherwise, an amazing time. Thanks again to Liz. And I look forward to having you guys on for our next episode. 
don't forget to follow us on subscribe on the podcast and um, follow on social media and yeah give us some nice ratings and comments and feedback and share it with your friends and all that social media jazz and um, thanks for your time as always and I'll see you next time bye bye